0: Hello and thanks for listening to episode 3 of Acting Related, the Actor podcast. I'm Frank Prendergast and today I'm chatting to writer, actor and voiceover artist Jodie O'Neill. Jodie has written at least 10 plays, was awarded a commendation from the Bruntwood Prize for Playwriting in 2019 for her play Bally Balia. Her latest play was co-produced with the Abbey Theatre and you might also have seen a short piece by Jodie performed by Marie Mullen in Dear Ireland, the Abbey's artistic response to COVID-19. As an actor, Jodie has worked on both screen and stage and has done an excellent job of creating her own work. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The benefits of it, the joys of it, as well as some of the pitfalls. We chat about how her writing originally started out of necessity, how creating her own work made her a better actor, and about the stresses and about the different skills that creating your own work requires. Okay, let's chat. Jodie, thank you so much for uh, joining me for a chat. So before... We all got shut down and locked in, and everything like that. You had um, you had a show called uh, "What I Don't Know About Autism," which was a co-production in association, or a co-production with the Abbey Theatre, in association with the Everyman and the Mermaid Theatre, um, and it was brilliant. Uh, Irish Times said it was a riveting celebration of difference and a timely political gesture, and uh, the Irish Examiner said this is an uplifting, powerful piece of theatre um and maybe we'll we'll maybe work back to talking about that but i just thought we'd go right back to because you not only wrote it but performed in it so i thought we could just have a chat about um making your own work and go right back to like you studied acting in trinity so you were originally like you were originally solely an actor and i'm curious about what got you writing and where did you set out to make your own work or how did it how did it all happen
1: um yeah that's a a good question and i did study acting um in trinity and i think you know you go into acting college with the idea of just spending three years developing a practice um but i i don't know that acting college prefer like necessarily prepares you for what life is going to be like as an actor out in the world. And certainly I didn't take in that aspect of the training. <laughs> if sure. it was there, it kind of went over my head. Um, and I was thinking about this during the week. One of the things that they did at the very end of our degree or towards the end of our degree, maybe just before a final show was they kind of sat everybody down individually and said, um, where they saw our career paths going and, right. um, So we had three tutors, maybe three main tutors sat us down and said, Oh, well, I feel, you know, you're going to have this kind of a career. You're going to have this kind of career. And, and what they said to me, which I was like, okay, well, we'll see, um, is that you're never going to be uh, a commercial actor. Uh, We don't think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, in a very kind way, but they said, we don't think that you will be on stage at the Abbey. Um. We, uh, you probably need to look at investigating making your own work, and you know we see you doing very well in physical theatre and experimental work, but maybe not being, you know, that kind of uh, very uh, clean and beautiful product that people want to see in ads or uh, that kind of, I suppose, a traditional kind of stage um, wow. theatre actress. Um do you think I, so?
0: Do you think things have changed since then? Or do you think that's, do you think that that's still a thing? Cause I feel, I feel like there's a lot more openness now about, about, you know, I don't know, what am I trying to say that I, I feel like the opportunities are there for anyone to, to do that if they want.
1: Yeah, I think so. I was, um, I think it has changed a bit. I think like at the time. Um, The Abbey was under very different management and The Gate was under extremely different management. Um, And there was a lot to be said for being, you know, really young and really pretty um, in different ways in both of those. And they were kind of the main kind of uh, regular employers um, of actors. And I think, you know, I think the way I came out of Trinity anyway was not as a very glossy product. Um, but I did come out with lots of skills that then over the coming years I was able to sort of morph into um strengthening. Um and actually one of the things I think about making my own work is that it made me a better actor because I just had less time to overthink things. So right. I spent an awful lot of um my time in acting college really overanalyzing things and really overthinking things and um you know, getting hung up on stuff so that like to the extent that you can't possibly be creative or be spontaneous because you've just really taught it to death. And um, right. so I think that, um, one of the things that's really helped about making my own work is that I just uh, stopped worrying so much and stopped being so anxious about right. how people would perceive it or how this should be delivered or what's the technique or what's the, um,
0: Because you had ownership of it, is it?
1: No, just because I didn't have time (laughs) to do anything. Okay. (laughs) 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 Um, So, like, one of the – I went back to the very first – so I graduated in 2003 from college, and and I think it could have been that summer even – I didn't graduate with any intention of, of making my own work or of going down any of the alternative routes that my tutors had outlined for me. Um, but it just happened that, um, I was working with Gavin Logue, who, you know, and uh, we were asked to, I don't know if we were asked or if Gavin approached, um, these people about maybe doing an adaptation of the book, the little prince as part of a conservation and sustainability festival. Um, that was going on in Dublin and um, they didn't have any money. We didn't have any money and we didn't have an adaptation of the play. So I like kind of adapted the play and, but not because I really, you know, wanted to adapt the play or thought, Oh, I'll do a really good version of this or I want to be a writer just because somebody had to do it. Um, And then I adapted it and I saved it on a floppy disk on um, my flatmate's computer and the whole disc was corrupt and uh, the, none of what I had done saved. So then I had to do the whole thing again. Oh no. Um, and for The Little Prince, I also made all the costumes. So I like a hand sewed all the costumes for it. Um, and I think Gavin played the narrator and then this uh, German actress called Katia, uh, she played The Little Prince and I played all the other parts. But like I, I can't really even remember rehearsing because we were just so stressed all the time. And like, at one point we were like, Oh, we need a piano because we have a pianist who'll play all this music, but we have to get a piano. So like, I, I think I remember maxing out my mom's credit card oh my God. that I was supposed to have for emergencies in order to buy a piano because it was the only way that we could conceive of getting it to the venue in time. Um and, and, then, and on the very last night of it, because it was, you know, it's very much flying by the seat of your pants and there's no money. And um, we came home and we were living in Fairview and a man passed us on the way out. And we were like, oh, it looks like he has some of our stuff. And so the guy had just burgled our <laughs> What? <laughs> but <laughs> we were so stressed at this point and like also just so relieved that we had managed to kind of say... Pull this production off, that we just kind of let him leave. And then.
0: <laughs> oh my uh,
1: God. And, and it didn't even seem weird, do you know, that somebody would be robbing our house. So you were just like, oh, that's the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so <laughs> that was my first experience of um making my own work. Wow. <laughs> um, and uh, it's followed a similar vein, I think. Since then. <laughs> um, <laughs> But you know, to to a greater or lesser degree, like that, I sound really glib. Um, like there is loads of um, brilliant things. But when I when I think about making my own work, the main thing that I think about is that at every production I was writing them all down earlier to try and go okay, uh, and there were more of them than I thought. Sure, um, I blanked out the experiences. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, at at on all of them, I have this memory of getting to a point where I don't have time to walk anymore. So I just run everywhere. Sure. Um, yeah. Because that's yeah. how you can maximize your time. And I yeah. think, you know, when you think about it, I suppose in terms of being an actor and you start to write your own work, that's a really natural move, I think, you know, and it's a really logical move. It seems to be in in many ways because, you know, you can write for yourself, you can write to your strengths, so you can cast yourself, sure. you probably have friends who you can cast. So there's that whole kind of community thing. I think maybe what um, I would have underestimated certainly the first time and the first few times that I produced work is how important it is to have a producer and how important it is to have somebody who does um, marketing and press for you. And I think that the reality and the challenge of making work certainly in a profit share or a fringe environment is that... Generally, you are those people, so you yeah. are the producer and you are the marketing person. And for me, um, nothing—I I can market anybody else's stuff, but nothing um, sickens me more than trying to sell sure. my own stuff. Which is—I mean—which
0: is really common. Um, but yeah, it's true because I—I know we we kind of chatted before about the fact that you know make your own work it's kind of bandied around a lot and I think it's fantastic. And I think what, you know, I think what you're doing is fantastic and your work is fantastic and anyone who can make their own work, I think it's brilliant. But sometimes I feel like, you know, the people who say that actors should make their own work are kind of saying it without a real understanding of what goes into it and how many different roles that you actually have to end up fulfilling. I think, yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, Yeah,
1: definitely. And I think it's the reason, you know, and actually, I think they're, so I think the Gaiety School of Acting, um, I don't know if they still do it, but they they brought in a project called Manifesto, um, where the students did make a 20-minute piece, kind of as part of, I think it was as part of their second year of college. So in addition to their showcase and their final college productions, they would have the responsibility of self-producing a piece of their own work that they could then look at maybe extending for a fringe platform, um, right? And I think that that's a really good idea in terms of colleges because what it does is it it forms working relationships in the class in a different way. So people sure. maybe can produce for each other, or you know, if somebody's not doing a um, what are they call a solo piece, then you know, you you kind of form a dynamic and. I know a lot of companies have come out of, um, that course, but I think, yeah, you're right. Like it's very easy to say, well, you know, okay, you're not working. You've all this time on your hands. Why don't you make some work? But it's really hard, um, to get the money to do it. Um, it becomes increasingly hard as, you know, people have families and other priorities to ask people to work for you for, you know, little or no money. Um,
0: and I think um, what you were saying about like teaming up in the class, I mean, that is a really good idea and that is a really good way to to teach it. I think because the bottom line is as well, you know, you are an excellent writer and I think, you know, e- your writing, even your, er- your, even your earliest writing started to get recognition straight away, but not everyone is a writer. And um, mm-hmm. so even that I think is, is good. In, like in terms of a classroom environment, teaching people to team up with people who have other strengths, maybe. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, your work, so when you did The Little Prince, I know later you did um, The Never Froze Walt Disney, because I was kind of there at the inception of that in Jack Healy's Working Actors Workshop in Cork, where he would do those mad and incredible, um, where you would use your voice to make all that music in in a group, which would then inspire a dramatic improvisation, and then that would inspire writing, potentially, and Several I think several productions came out of those workshops and then ever froze Walt Disney was one of them. And I mean that got nominated for an award. Was that your first full length play?
1: Yeah. So that was um it was about an hour long, wasn't it? I think because we played it at lunchtime in the Cork Midsummer Festival. Okay, and right. then we brought it to the Dublin Fringe, I think, the following year. Brilliant. Um so that was my first um, you know, longer piece and it really wouldn't have happened without that workshop because I'm um, you know, remarkably undisciplined about sitting down and writing. So okay. I think that the the amazing thing about that process was that I managed to kind of somehow by fluke come out with a play. So I wasn't necessarily planning to write a play. So I suppose what had happened was um uh my Carl and I um were both at a point where Carl had studied the, um, at the Gaty School of Acting and had come out and had done a few professional acting gigs. But we were both spending an awful lot of time working in pubs or working in cafes um, and finding it increasingly draining. And so there was a summer where I was working in a cafe that um, used to, like, they, they they were so paranoid about their staff, they had security cameras trained on the staff rather than the... Oh, wow. The, the door and they would watch. So they would go off and they were um, rather wealthy and they'd go off on their days But what they would do is they would watch what was going on in the cafe so that, you know, if they didn't like the way your hair was or they didn't like <laughs> uh, something that you were doing, they'd ring from the beach um, and let you know. Wow. and uh, And I just got really, yeah, I was just really sick of that because I'd had so many amazing experiences working in the service industry. But that was really rock bottom. Um right. and so at that point, um, Carl and I decided to move to Cork for a little while because we could stay in my mum's house for a bit and we could just kind of figure out what we we're doing. And we bought a MacBook and uh we shared it, and Carl was doing some sound design and I was doing some um I wasn't even doing some writing. I was like copying and pasting things out of the newspaper that I thought might make good stories. Sure. Um, and uh and so but the way that Jack did that workshop was we would do those vocal improvisations and then, you know, they would just be sounds. And then he would say, well, what might they be talking about? And we'd bring words to that. And then he might say to me at the end, go home now and write it up. And I'd go home and I'd write it up. And, you know, credit also to, you, to John McCarthy, who was the, the my scene partner for those and who played Pauly sure. in that production. Um, but basically kind of at the end of it, and then sometimes he'd say, well, write another." scenes as well you know so I started to imagine uh, what might happen next what might happen next and all of a sudden I had a story that I was able to kind of finish and and have a draft but I arrived at it in a really organic way kind of by accident and I don't think that it would have uh, been as good had I at that point gone I'm going to sit down and I'm going to like stay here until I've written a play that really showcases my abilities as an actor and, and I'm going to use it as a vehicle to get some work Sure. Um,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: It happened, you know, in a kind of unintentional way, and I think that was the best sure. thing that could have um, that could have happened.
0: And did it do that? Did it um, did it work as a vehicle to get more work?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I think, like, not in the immediate aftermath, but I think in the following couple of years, yeah. Right. Um, so, as a result of having had that production. And I going to the fringe. I ended up doing the next stage, the Dublin Theatre's Next Stage program, where I right. spent two weeks with other practitioners, um, seeing work, talking about work, starting to make work, starting to collaborate. And out of that, um, out of the next stage, I ended up teaming up with um, D. Roy Croft and Rasha Gohan and Louise Lowe. And we created, because one of the things that we had talked about a lot, we were makers and actors and directors and choreographers, but we were all talking about, okay, it would be great to have somewhere safe to try things out. And we didn't feel like that really existed. And so people were talking to us about, oh, it's so exciting in London because they have scratch nights where you can just try things out and it's rough and ready. And, you know, if it doesn't work, fine. But if it does, then you've got, you know, you can kind of bring it on to maybe apply for funding. So we set up um, with Project Art Centre, a new work platform called Project Brand New, which was um, designed to showcase the work of theatre makers. But also, you know, we were completely transparent about the fact that, yeah, we were also going to showcase our own work through it, but through an application process. So if one of us wanted to make work, we would apply through the application process as well. And, you know, one of us normally would make a piece per Project Brand New. But the great thing about that, I think, was that There were four pieces per night over three nights. It was in Project Art Center. So from the outset, it sold out. And and so people who wouldn't have had a chance, people who wouldn't have been able to get people in to see their fringe shows necessarily were able to play to a packed industry audience in Project Art Center. The audience were only paying a fiver. So, you know, it was like, what, 125 per piece. So if one of the pieces wasn't great, they could deal with that really easily. Um, And what we offered, I suppose, as uh, producers was um, dramaturgical support if people needed it or writing support if people needed it or if people needed to outsource um, a professional, we could kind of help to link them up with somebody who could work with them. And then we had a really good um, production manager who would work with us. So we would light it reasonably professionally Um, and we would assist with sound and then we document it for them. So everybody went away with really good production shots and really good um, video archive footage so that then if they wanted to say, let's take this 20-minute piece to the next level, let's apply for Arts Council funding, they had all the materials to go to the Arts Council with and also they had, you know, maybe we had a comment process by which people could feedback. So they actually had audience feedback so they could prove to the Arts Council that there was a hunger for this piece to get further development. And I think like yeah. that's essentially how I got on the Arts Council funding ladder was through a 20 minute piece right. that I did in, in Project Brand New, um, which was the start of Celebrity. Um, but in terms of, Brilliant. in terms of being in, so like they never froze, Walt Disney was the first step and then that led to the next stage. And then that led to Project Brand New and a lot of the professional work. Like I worked a lot subsequently with Rough Magic, um theater company and i think you know i think lynn just used to come to project brand new and saw me in a few shows and um brilliant. And
0: yeah was
1: incredibly supportive of both like me as a maker making my own work and um you know it was the start of me uh, being an actor with them for a few shows
0: brilliant yeah brilliant is there uh, i mean project brand new is just a brilliant idea do you know of anything like that operating at the moment?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I went to um, the Abbey held a, a day for writers a couple of years ago. It would have been kind of around the time that Graham and Neil started at the Abbey, um, and I remember going and being like, "Wow!" Because I, I because I had a, a kid shortly after we did Celebrity, so I, that I kind of knocked my theatre career on the head essentially for a couple of years. So when I went to that day at the Abbey, I was really interested to find out, okay, what are the conversations that are happening now? What's changed? What's moved on? What have I missed? And, but all the conversations were the same conversations that had been had, you know, that we had in 2008 when we were doing the next stage. And so it was all people saying, oh, there's nowhere to get work on. And if you get work on, people aren't necessarily going to come and see it. And how do you do it with a tight budget? And so, I think, so there is um, Seen and Heard. I don't know if you've come across Seen and Heard, have you?
0: mm, The name is familiar, but I don't.
1: Yeah. So it's a festival that happens, I think, annually in Smock Alley. Okay. And as far as I know, I could be wrong here, but as far as I know, you can kind of um, present work at different stages of development. So you can either present, like you might present just a 10-minute piece or a 20-minute piece or a half-hour piece. Um, Right. So that seems to me to be yeah. a really good platform, and I think people do go and and see the work. Yeah, um, and I that's true. Actually, the, there's
0: there's a uh, I I just momentarily forgotten, but there is something similar in Cork in um, called Show, which is mm-hmm. run through the the Theatre Development Centre. So I guess yeah. yeah, I guess there are things. I guess there are things out there to be to be poked out. Yeah, if you can. I think you can find I think them, there yeah. probably
1: are. Yeah, I think what was, but I think a really big part of, of um Project Brand New was um was making things that weren't necessarily shows yet but had the makings of really good sure. shows and making them look really good. Right. And projects of brilliant. So They were space more like finished that. pieces. Yeah, they were more like they were a little bit more like finished pieces. Or you know uh, uh, Victor um my friend who used to do the production shots for us would get these amazing um images for people. So and sure. so even if the show wasn't there yet, yeah. um that was a really the documentation was a really important part of I think um right. making things look like they were worth investing in, which for the most part they were worth investing in. Sure. And like loads yeah. of those shows went on to have really long lives. Um yeah. but there was something about um I suppose the combination of um the fact that we were like working actively with the makers of the work to make it as good as it could possibly be. Um, And also that we had the backing of project, which is, you know, was so central to the theatre scene.
0: Yeah. At the
1: time. So I think those were two really crucial things.
0: Sure. And you seem, like, you seem to be quite a prolific writer now. Um, When you write now, are you drawn to the writing itself? Are you still writing to make work for yourself? Or are there different, does it just depend project to project?
1: Yeah, that's good. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. When you know, we all have to stay in our houses and, um, yeah. try to be really productive and not necessarily <laughs> feel like um, about uh this and about why I'm a writer. And I haven't managed. Um, I've only been managing to write like really short things. So one of the things that I thought I would do, um, at the start of all of this. Was to write a spec script for TV and film to send out to agents and production companies. Like I haven't even, I haven't even been able to start looking at mapping out beats for something like that. Right. Um, so what I've been doing is writing these really like short pieces of drama, short pieces of. I wrote um, that piece for Dear Ireland, so that kind of was a nice springboard into. Okay, maybe short form is my way to go at the moment. And, sure.
0: Yeah. Um, Dear Ireland, being the the Abbey theater uh kind of lockdown theater pieces which were all yeah 10 minute, each each one was 10 minutes and um put on their youtube channel
1: exactly yeah um and they, that happened in the very first week i think after everything shut down that they commissioned those pieces right. so i was working straight away and um, but one of the things that's become really clear is that i just have no rigor um as a writer to sit down and it's you know obviously it's it's tricky because i'm Kind of homeschooling Tom in the mornings and um, sure. uh, my son and then so our our lives are pretty busy at the moment, so normally my writing time would be um when he's at school, so I would go to Dun sure. library and I'll like catch up on whatever admin, whatever writing I can do and um and I, I think actually part of it is just that my brain thinks really um compartmentally so so what I don't know about autism is uh, 26 scenes all, right. all addressing a uh, different of autism or what it is to be autistic and um, and some of them are f- uh, fictional and some of them are, are not and um but I think I partly I wrote 26 scenes because I wanted to create a fragmented sense of narrative for the audience but then I realized that I'd also written um this play Ballybalia um which uh, was part of the the Fishamble play for Ireland um, program, but that's um you know that didn't have to be compartmentalized, but I did write seventeen okay. different plays, each one based <laughs> on a government department, and each one depicting um you know aspects of right. uh, of community life and political life and how they uh, cross over in Ireland. so I think that maybe i 'm just not very good at writing narratives that go from start to finish and that um, maybe it's an attention span thing, but I tend to write in in bite sized things. But I think interesting. I don't right. know these. I suppose what drives me to write is that, like at a certain point in time, people just decided that I was a writer. So <laughs> then you kind of go writing opportunities come up, and so right, uh, and I, you know, and that that sounds. Um, I don't mean that to sound kind of oh well. I just write about whatever somebody tells me to write about because there are lots of things that I feel um, compelled to express and how I do that is through writing. So I'm not necessarily writing um, in order to create acting work for myself um, because it's much easier if somebody just casts you in, your, in their show and, uh, yeah. and gives you yeah. a part but that doesn't, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, um, I don't get that much work from. Auditioning, I don't think. So I tend to get work if somebody sees me in something and then they go, Oh, you're the right person maybe for this one, or would you like to come okay. in and do a rehearsed reading? And that sure. tends to be because I don't operate very well in audition conditions. Sure. Um, I don't think. Um uh, so yeah, I think I don't know if that answers your question, but i know yeah, no, it absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. It,
0: no, it does. Um
1: but at the moment I'm yeah, writing like a lot of short form stuff. I've um, I was telling you about this but, um screen skills. Web series course that I've been doing, so that's yeah. been a really nice way of having something to do for an hour each day, sure. and also having something that's driven towards um you know there was a, a deadline of you had to have a pitch ready, and then there was a deadline of you need to put some episodes up in this WhatsApp group right. that we have for the course participants so that people can read and give feedback right. on your work. But that's a really manageable goal, sure. I think, at the moment, yeah. because you know you're looking at. Totally different when we're looking at you know two or three minute episodes, as opposed to sure. this monster in my head that the spec script idea has turned into.
0: But also, you have a lot of experience writing for screen because I mean, you wrote for Fair City for.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. So. So yeah, that was one of the things actually that happened. I think in two thousand and fourteen, when Tom was um, little, and it was becoming really clear that. Um, because actually in the year that he was two, I had like loads of theater work. So um, I was, I did a show with team that um, Michael Murphy directed and Monica McCann had written. And then I was like straight into rehearsals the next week for a Rough Magic show. And then I went like straight into shooting um, that Charlie Hawley, um TV series after Brilliant. that. So I was kind of, you know, rolling a little bit Brilliant. as an actor yeah. at the time, as much as I had, I think, ever um, but it just became really clear that it was going to be a massive strain for both carla and i to be working in theater and being and that that of wasn't course, a particularly yeah. nice life to be offering a child either so um so at that point i wasn't some like i didn't kind of at well, at some point go oh you know i'm going to take a conscious step back here but i did think okay well, i need to explore other avenues and i had done a little sure. bit of writing um for children's apps and um, and that was great. Um, but again, it wasn't kind of consistently giving me work. So the opportunity came up to go into the story room on fair city. Um, and I spent about like two or three months working in there. And then I went on to do scripts and that was, Brilliant. you know, something that I could do from home, but it's such a, um, it's a very, uh, particular style, obviously, and a very particular method when you're sure. writing for soap. So, you get handed a, a scene by scene document that you then kind of write up the scene. So it's like somebody gives you a recipe okay, that you can follow right. and then you just kind of write up the method. Right. Um, and obviously, yeah, there's plenty of room for you to be creative, but it's being creative in a really different way. And then sure. I think because I took um, what was supposed to be a three month break from that to kind of research and develop making work about autism. Um then and then that turned into an extended break, which turned into an extended break. So I think um, I, just trying to get my head back into kind of a screen world, sure, and also a gotcha. screen world that isn't populated by yeah. um, the residents of Carrigstown sure. is, um, is, is a bit of a challenge, but, you know, a really yeah. good challenge as well. And I probably will do it. It's just, I think I need to maybe um, be more disciplined. Yeah
0: you you said as well, you know, you were talking about, when you were talking about, you know, what motivates or why you're a writer. And you, one of the things you, you mentioned was that there are just certain things that you are actually compelled to write about. Mm-hmm. And so presumably autism is one of those that you were compelled to write about. Um, cause I know we said at the start, we'd work our way back to uh, what I don't know about autism. Um, and I thought it was, I think it's, I thought it was really interesting that, um, that the you know that the Irish Times said it was a, a timely political gesture because uh, I don't know if you would describe it like this, but I know like watching it, I felt like it was, I felt like it was a political play in the guise of, um, uh, in the guise of almost like uh, almost kind of subverting the educational theatre um, t- type of performance.
1: Um, cool. Um I never thought about it like that, <laughs> but, <Okay. laughs> but no, but that's not to say that, it, that that it's not like that. I think, um, it's just, um, the, how it happened. So I, I suppose the impetus, yeah, was that I felt, um, when we started learning about autism as a family, um, I felt like the information that we were learning from the autistic community was not information that was there in the public domain. Right. Um And I I guess you have options, you know, you can become a politician and, you know, try and change the system and then get beaten down by the system and fail. Or, you know, (laughs) um, I don't really have the personality for that. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I can start looking at how I promote autism acceptance through work. So it was, the aims of it were twofold. So the aim one was to promote autism acceptance and acceptance over understanding, which I think is a slightly different thing. Sure. Um, yeah. and also to celebrate autistic identity. So I wanted it to have a real celebratory um, nature, and but also, yeah, I suppose to be educational as well for an, for an audience that might not um, know that much about neurodiversity. Um, yeah. But I really didn't know how it was going to come out. And I did start by thinking I was going to write this um, kind of slightly futuristic piece um about a world where genetic anomalies have been wiped out and um a couple choose to have a child naturally um when normally they're like hatched in a lab and they end up with an autistic um child but they have like the the word autism doesn't even exist anymore so they have to kind of like go back through the history books to find out what child they have um and then um yeah. And then, and then basically society realizes that innovation is at a standstill and, uh, because there is no more autism and there's no more thinking differently. And um, so that was what I was thinking about writing. And then I got so um, engrossed in the research that I was like, Oh, I really want to tell people about this. And I really want to tell sure. people about this. And yeah. I really want to tell people about this. So I think that's kind of how the the form evolved. And the idea, I suppose, of making it as um, a relaxed performance, so making it as accessible as possible to as many yeah. people as possible, but without diluting the core, um, I suppose, information and message, sure. for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in a sense, I kind of was writing a scene here and a scene there, and I really thought, like, for the whole process that at some point I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make this into a proper play, but I just never did. And <laughs> when we got into a room, um, I was like, oh, you know, scenes that we've written, and then we kind of put them together. But then I, I was working with a dramaturg, and she was very skilled at kind of going, "Okay, you could track these things through it," and and so it kind of just became a play rather than I don't know if if somebody sitting down and reading the script would go, "Oh, well, you know." that's that's a good play because it's probably not technically but, a good I mean, play, but it is what it is. And I don't think it could have been. I mean, I
0: read, else. I read, the, do you mean like the, the script that I read? Yeah. Because I read that script. I thought that was a great play. Okay. <laughs> so I think you're <laughs> possibly being a little bit too self-effacing.
1: <laughs> yeah. But like, it's not, you know, it's not crafted in the way that maybe a good play it's not crafted in the way that they would teach you to craft a good play if you went sure. and studied writing, I don't think, but I think the form was sure. right for the content that yes. we were trying to. And yeah. that's one of yeah. the things I think maybe it was Tim Crouch who said that when I was doing, I did um, like the new writers pro- program in the Abbey. um I don't know, but like a, a lot of years right. ago um, and Tim Crouch was one of the mentors um who came in and I really hope it was him who said this and not somebody <laughs> else, but about, you know, um, like finding the theme and then finding the right form to express that content. So that doesn't right. have to be a three act structure or it doesn't have to be sure anything, it, you know, as long as it's communicating what you want it, it to communicate, then that's certainly. Okay. And,
0: sounds like something Tim Crouch would say. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's give it to him. I'm sure he can remember.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. And, um, so obviously, yeah, I mean, you had, you had plans for what I don't know about autism, um, mm-hmm. which I assume will, will kind of be have to be picked up at a later date. Uh, do you still have kind of future plans for it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's so interesting how things happen, isn't it? So I think, Like when we did um, Celebrity in 2011, there were like lots of plans for that to have a life as well. And um, then I was having a baby. So that kind of shelved that. And then coming out of what I don't know about autism, I was going, oh, this is great. You know, like there are no barriers here because it's (laughs) sold out. So it's really clear that audiences want to see it. And it's gone really well. The cast are all really happy and want to do it again. And uh, so it was like there was nothing in the way <laughs> <Yeah>. of it, <laughs> yeah. and then like, oh, okay, a pandemic, yeah. that'll stop yeah. it. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I I would love for it to have a future sure. life, just because yeah. I think um, I think the demand is there for it, and I yeah. think it, it could easily have another life. I've been kind of thinking and about. It
0: is. Sorry, yeah. go on.
1: No, I I guess I've been thinking about like how it might you know if things go on and on and we don't know what's going to happen with theaters, but that it could potentially have a life on zoom
0: as okay a, yeah 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 because
1: it's so interactive i think that yeah, this brilliant. possibility of maybe filming some of the scenes in brilliant. advance if we could get people you know together in a safe way and yeah. then actually having those conversations that we had in the theaters with the audience yeah online would be just as valid and just as valuable and yeah that would um, be amazing so i think that's certainly something that i'm that's going around in my head because it may not be possible, you know, to bring it back in the, and I don't, nobody knows what's going to happen with the next round of arts council touring funding. Of course. Um, Yeah. So there may not be any money, but, um, yeah, we just, we just kind of have to see.
0: So as we kind of wrap up, um, just, do you have any other kind of future plans on the horizon?
1: Um, any future plans, I guess, um, yeah, so I, just in the very short term, I'm working with um, Niall Cleary from Graffiti and um, an actress called Amaya Gillespie. Um, and that's been lovely because I, I when, we, when we wrote the Dear Ireland pieces, um, I wrote three pieces just because I had kind of three voices in my head that had things to say. So I wrote the three pieces. Right. And um, obviously the Abbey was only going to be producing one of them. So I picked a piece and that was the one that went out but then I had been talking to Niall about you know how theatre maybe can work and how you can have a live experience online or maybe not even live and um, and so I had sent him this piece and he was uh, very enthusiastic about it and then because I have been doing this web series writing of um, course I've started to to look at that as more of a, a webisode idea and right so we're going to film I think maybe five or six episodes over the next couple of weeks and start just putting them out online and kind of just to see what happens not with any great anticipation of it uh you know being a hit but just kind of just out of curiosity to see okay how can we create a presence online how can we put this character online um, and how might audiences interact with her or brilliant or not so that's kind of the that's the immediate um plan
0: with that so thank you jody thanks a million for uh chatting with me um that was uh that was a lot of fun and also really informative and yeah just loads of loads of really interesting insights in there so thank you so much again thank Um, you very much and uh yeah i look forward to chatting to you soon
1: cool thanks
0: cheers Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to know more about Jody's work, you can check out aboutautism.ie for info on her play, What I Don't Know About Autism. And she's also working on a web series with Graffiti Theatre Company. You can check out their YouTube channel. Uh, I'll put a link to the first episode in the show notes so that you can find it easily. Please do subscribe if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. I'm Frank Prendergast. You can find me on Twitter at Frankie P. That's F-R-A-N-K-I-E-P. And if you're looking for a quick, easy and affordable professional actor's website, do check out www.mysite.actor. See you next time. Cheers.